Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we go on a drive. It's a drive that no one ever wants to take. No. No. We watched the 2014 Lifetime movie, Big Driver. Before we get started with that, how was your week? Uh, My weekend was lovely. It was Uh, a holiday. Yes, it was a holiday and I got to the out of doors. It was kind of lovely. The weather was really difficult. Yes. it Over the course of my vacation, it went from 110 to 114 degrees. That's too hot. And it was very hot to be out in the sunshine trying to enjoy, th- to enjoy things. But I survived. I had a mild case of heat stroke. <laughs> but um, but I'm my recording. mad face on. Yes. What about you? How was your week? It was good. You I went on vacation a... too. I was. You took days off. <laughs> I stayed inside. Okay. Even when it wasn't 110 degrees, All I right. stayed inside. Well, you uh, made the wiser decision. Played some board games, talked mm-hmm. a lot. And now my voice is over it. My voice might be healed if not for the fact that we are also living in Wildfire Central. Right. The sun never came out today. Yeah. It's been orange. It's one of my coworkers without having the words to describe it said it looked like a sepia filter on an old film or something. Yes. That's basically or like what it somebody looks like put us in a put the earth inside of like the Earth is a boba inside of Thai tea. Right. It's like Thai iced tea from colored outside. Somewhere it's further north, people are just laughing wild. at us and are complaining that the sun didn't come out today. Uh, well, somewhere further north, people's houses have exploded and burned you know, down. Much further north than that. What I mean oh, okay. is the idea being that there are parts of. Uh, oh yes. Yes. Where, yeah. When it's perpetual summer or perpetual winter. Right. So the, I wouldn't handle it well. I didn't handle today well. Well, today was very odd. It, 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 everyone I know it messed with their sleep patterns. Yes. And it, uh, it still has this sort of odd feeling of not quite being a full day, like a day has not passed. Yeah, I was super pissed when my roommate turned on the light in the hallway to go mm-hmm. downstairs to leave for work. Because I presumed it was 4 a.m. and it was right. 8.30. And I was yeah. like, oh, no, I need to be awake and dressed. Yes. Uh, there was a lot I, of that. I it was up. Uh, It was no winning from there. It was really, I was behind the eight ball all day. I woke up with a similar feeling. It's not even, it's more intense than a, a wet stormy day, too. Because it's just dry and dead. Yeah. And it's weird because the... Breathing doesn't hurt. Like, it doesn't feel like you're breathing in smoke because there's so much fog mixed in with it that's causing the light issues. But then my car was covered in ash. So I know I'm breathing in that I shouldn't be breathing in. It's like, it's crazy. Bringing in the trash bins from outside at work where they've been perched on the sidewalk all night. Um, Yes, there was a a kind of a... Film? Yes, of ash. All over it. And I can't say it's doing good for my breathing either. And yeah, we both sound yeah. very sexy today. Yes. So, you want to get into this book movie, movie book? All right. Yes, I'm All ready. All right. Before we get started, mm-hmm. uh, a quick reminder. Trigger warning, content warning for rape and uh, rape aftermath. Serial killer, mutilation, there's a lot of Yeah, but I stuff. that stuff, that goes, I think most people mm-hmm. are less triggered by than... Scenes of right. sexual assault. So, 
So this movie stars Big Driver, or stars stars Big Driver, but mm-hmm. also stars Maria Bello, which is what I intended to say. Big Driver, starring Maria Bello. Uh, it aired on Lifetime on October 18th, 2014. <laughs> it was directed by Michael Salomon. It was written by Richard Christian Matheson. Yes. Why is that name familiar? He is the son of Richard Matheson who was a huge influence on Stephen King and everyone else in the horror genre. He's responsible for things like I Am Legend, The Legend of Hell House, also The Incredible Shrinking Man. He, along with Charles Beaumont, wrote a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes, from the original Twilight mm-hmm. Zone that people remember. He put William Shatner on that plane, looking mm-hmm. at gremlins. And, so yes, yeah, so there's a, he, he's made an enormous contribution to the field. Oh, The Night, the, the, uh, Night Stalker as well. He oh, yes. Those. So, yeah, he's had a huge influence. And this is his son. This is his son, yes. So, this movie, you said you'd never seen it or heard of it. I had never seen or heard of it. Our other roommate, who's also a Stephen King fan, had never seen or heard of it. I didn't recall it, but when it started, I was like, oh, I've definitely seen this before. Uh But I didn't recall what would be happening. Especially the opening scene. Not the opening, opening scene, but the the first scene with our protagonist, uh, mm-hmm. Tess Thorne, once again played by the beautiful and talented Maria Bello. Yes. Who should be in more things. She yes, was she in absolutely a, should. Was she in the Helen Mirren show when it came here? She was, yes. she Prime was Suspect? In Prime Suspect, she was playing Helen Mirren's part. Right. And it got a lot of negative reviews, not necessarily well, for her it. performance. I loved it, because I'd never seen the original. Yeah. And so... I really liked her performance, but then again, I really like her. I like her too. I uh, I I guess the performance, if I was to recommend one, would probably be with William Macy in The Cooler. The Cooler, yeah. Where she is absolutely wonderful because she takes a character who could be unlikable and really just makes her so endearing. Yeah. Um, and also the salvation for this person who's literally falling to pieces. Yeah, and I like her. She, she exudes a smartness mm-hmm. she does. Um, in her characters, regardless of quote-unquote, intelligence levels of, yeah. of said characters. She's just, yeah, she's like crackly, and I like it. It's good. So she's a cozy mystery writer, mm-hmm. like an Agatha Christie type. Right, but I think even maybe softer, because it, it seems like... like... An Alexander McCall Smith type? Yeah, maybe. But a lady version. Because <laughs> she writes about uh, lady detectives who have a knitting society? Yes, well... A knitting society who've decided that they're detectives, I think, is more accurate. And the crimes that you hear her describing her plot lines are so fantastic and strange. Yeah, but it's all all a murder and then Mm -hmm. assault by old ladies. Very murder, she wrote. And uh, a a common complaint we saw in uh, reviews of this film is that there are both sort of viscerally realistic things... Mm -hmm. And then also there's this fantastical element to the movie because her characters are in this film. Right. So Well, one of her characters. We're told very early on that she hears voices and she's heard them since she's a child. Right. So she has a way of constructing reality around her all the time. And so the characters, uh, the, the main character from her story... Oh, uh, Doreen, Doreen, yes. Who's played by Olympia Dukakis, appears. She's a figment of her imagination who appears to direct her. Um, she also has conversations with her GPS, named right. Tom. This is a very, very, this, 
this movie takes place and was filmed in a very specific time when you had an iPhone and a GPS in your car and you drove a Prius. Right. Like, it's just like, it's a very 2014 yeah. thing that's happening. This story also was written fairly recently. Um, also, it was released in 2010. Mm-hmm. So it is a very much a modern story, not an update of an older story. Uh, so Tess Thorne is, as we said, a writer. She's going to go to do a like meet and greet reading at a Massachusetts bookstore. Right. And she uh, drives there. It takes mm-hmm. her a long time, but she doesn't like to fly. And I, I have a feeling it's not far enough that a flight would even right. be uh, a thing. So she goes. Um, before she leaves, we see her interacting with her neighbor, it turns out, who is uh, a cl- what appears to be a close friend. She's FaceTiming with her. And then also she has a cat. Cat name is Fritz. Fritz the cat. It looks nothing like the cartoon Fritz the cat. It is a very fluffy calico type, long haired. It looks so soft. It looks <laughs> the softest looking cat I've seen in a long time. And when she gets on the road, and then when she gets to where she's going, to do her reading. Who is there to greet her? One Ramona. I've forgotten her last. Norval. But yes, it's Ramona Norval. She knew the whole time. She she oh, we don't, but we okay. don't know that what her. Yes. But but we do know because who is she played by? One Anne Dowd. And Anne Dowd has never been hired to be a protagonist ever. Anne Dowd is mm-hmm. bad news. Anne Dowd is probably a very sweet woman in real life. But every time I see her on screen, I'm like, well, well bad guy. Right. <laughs> I don't trust her. She's uh, going to get you. And um, there is, she does the reading. Ramona Norville seems uh, overly, uh, what's the word I want? Like, she's just very forward with her questions and her chattiness. Right. And Tess is a little, like, mm, dismissive of her surroundings. She's not rude. No, but this not is her going rude. out to the yes. stick, so to speak, to speak to, to, to talk to a bunch of um, women about her work. And she takes it very seriously. Right, so but as, then she does these little complaints mm-hmm. about how it's out of the way, and right, how, like it just she just does these little offhanded things, and it's like not quite straight rudeness, but it's also like I don't know that I would say that to the person who was paying me to come here. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just it was a little bit odd. And the other thing we find out about Ramona is she is in love with is it Richard Widmark? Richard Widmark, and and oddly, she fell in love with him. Right. Watching Touch of... Kiss of Death. Kiss of Death. So one of his first movies, Kiss of Death, she fell in love with Richard Woodmark, which I didn't realize was a red flag. You Mm -hmm. probably knew it because you've seen the movie. You say that I've seen the movie, but I have no recollection of seeing this movie. But we see a a clip of it later. The clip. Wherein Richard Woodmark uh, wheels a disabled woman... In her wheelchair down the stairs. Right. He ties her to um, he ties her to her wheelchair with an electrical cord and then shoves her down a staircase. And this was Richard Woodmark's first big part, and so he went out with a great deal of gusto playing a psychotic murderer who's laughing the entire time that he's doing this. And so it was a very shocking scene. It's still a shocking scene now. 
Yeah. But to think the red flag, as you said, would be this woman fell in love with him watching that scene. Watching that, yes. And and um, so later tests like that was weird. Um, and there's reasons why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as they're chatting, you know, Tess complains about the freeway and 94 and how she hates it. And, and Ramona says, oh, I have a shortcut. You should go this way. It'll take an hour off your time. And so Tess decides that she will do that. And then she goes on her way, and she does, in fact, take the shortcut. While she's driving, um, she's having this conversation with her GPS. Her GPS is like, it's weird out here. And she's like, yeah, it's a little weird out here, but it's, I'm sure it's going to be fine. And then as we, we, we are with her, as she's driving her Prius up to a gas station that can only be called the your last chance to turn around gas right. station. It is very much the gas station that's been in every film wherein the protagonist was later murdered because they did not see the gas station and go, shouldn't go this way any further, need to turn around. But before she could even think about turning around, her tire is punctured by nails in a board left in the road. And so she swerves off the road and... She gets out of her car, and there's nobody around, and she drags some other boards with nails out of the road to, I guess, avoid this from happening to other people, which is the, maybe the most thoughtful thing that That's anybody in this whole interesting movie does. character development there. Yeah. It lets you know something about her. And then she does that before she even investigates her own vehicle, which I think she kind of realizes is the right. whole thing. Right, it's, it's foregone conclusion that it's not uh, going to be able to go. Right. And she pulls a board with the two nails embedded in it out of her front tire, which I've tried to pull things out of a tire before, and I'm pretty sure this makes her superwoman. Like, the fact that she could do that is ridiculous. But then you just watch her front tire just <laughs> just, just collapse it on itself. A van goes by, and she tries to wave them down, and they just sort of swerve around her and keep it moving. Um, and then a truck comes by and stops for her and, you know, asks if she would like some help changing her tire. She does, in fact, have a jack and a new tire. She just doesn't know how to How to use those that. two. Right. So uh, she's grateful for the help. Uh, she offers to pay him, but he says, no, no, of course not. You need help, and... It's not that would not be American to take your money for that, and I'm like that would literally be the most American thing <laughs> that there could possibly be. And uh, as he's working on her tire, working on just taking it off, she sees some similar boards to the ones she had been moving mm-hmm. in the bed of his truck, and she's like, "Oh God, I have driven into a trap." And she asks him if he's almost done, which is like my my least favorite part of all of this, mm-hmm. because I'm like, you know the answer to that. You're not dumb, so don't ask dumb questions. In retrospect, thinking about that question and answer, it seems almost as if when she uncovers the other planks with nails in the back of his truck, that she has a moment of panic. Yeah. And then she doesn't want to think what's about to happen to her is going to happen. It's going to happen to her. But she also probably knows, like... My my options here are pretty limited. Right. Yeah. Because we should mention the point of, well, 
the title of the film. Yeah. Is that we haven't talked about no. the size of the this The size man. of this gentleman. Right. He is six foot six, mm-hmm. they say in the book. Now, now there's, a, there's a difference in the book to the movie that um, that I will discuss later that I didn't know earlier. Um, but she says, you know, she even remarks, it's not like you drive that truck, it's like you wear it. Right. He's a very big guy in a similarly big truck. Uh, and she's not a, not a big no, person. No, she's a small woman. So... Um, well, she sees what's in his trunk or in his, uh, the bed of his truck and asks about how he's coming along. He gets up and says, what if I don't do this? What if I don't fix your tire? What if I screw you? Which is is such a lifetime movie line. I just, but it's uh, still like the most vulgar kind of thing that you can say. It's I guess. And then he knocks her out and then we are dealt a extended rape scene. Yeah. Now it's not overly graphic given that it is a television film. Mm-hmm. But it is not short. No, yeah, it goes on. Um and there are breaks in it where he leaves and comes back. Mm-hmm. And during those breaks he we see him like playing air guitar. And yeah, he's just a big, stupid monster. Yes. And There's, we see right. that she sort of dissociates during the event mm-hmm. and watches herself. She, it's almost like she astral projects to another room and watches herself Being be assaulted. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then he drags her down into the, the like a creek. She it, plays dead, I think. Right. It looks like a drainage tunnel, too. And then like a culvert. Into a drainage tunnel, right. yes. And she either plays dead or is deeply unconscious. Um, and he leaves her there. And then she comes to. And rather than crawling towards the way that she was brought in, she tries to crawl to the other side because there is a light on both sides. It's not like this endless tunnel. And she ends up climbing over at least three other I believe so, so in various stages of decomposition. Right. So she knows that this has not just happened to her. Yeah. And she makes it out, although she does pass out. Like, there's some time passage. She moves a little, and then she passes out, and then she moves a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, she does get out. She goes back to the gas station. She finds her shoes. She, there's a distinct thing with her where, like, when she got to the reading, she was wearing flip-flops, and she changed into heels, and then yeah. we see her changing back into the flip-flops. Like, her footwear choices are are explicit in this movie in a way that I'm not used to seeing, I think. Yeah, I, I think that also there's a lot of... Um it was well. There's a lot of interesting things that are included here to give you a sense of her character. Yeah. And I'm not sure all of them communicate what they want to. Right. No, that's fair. Because there's there's also, as we'll mention later, there's characters in the film that go absolutely nowhere that you think are going to lead yes. somewhere. Yes. Yes. There's exactly. uh, contributions to her character building that don't seem to go anywhere. Yeah. And so I'm under the impression that some something was cut for time or for content or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. So that there are things that. Just they don't make sense in the the course of the film. 
And she she gets out. Her car is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so she walks down the road. And anytime a car approaches, she runs into the bushes or trees off the side of the road because she does not want to be cap- recaptured by her captor. Um, she gets to a town. She, 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 on the outskirts, there's a, like a roadside bar called mm-hmm. the Stagger Inn. But there's a bunch of bikers there and there's like a biker, uh, band playing. And she's just like, I'm not, I can't go in there. She goes to a convenience store with an outdoor uh, washroom and she sort of cleans herself up. And that's like a hard scene to watch. Like you can tell as she's sitting on the toilet urinating that she's in pain yeah. because of her abrasions in that part of her body. And there's not you it's you don't see it obviously. It's just her body language and like it's just Maria Bello acting really well. Right, and that's that's um and we'll discuss that later too, I guess. It's not presented the rape scene or the attack in any kind of exploitational way. It's horrible. It's horrible. And the aftermath is horrible. It's horrible. And so the realization that the crime was only the beginning of it. Yes. And yes, now there's going yeah. to be a whole other phase of trying to recover. Right. Trying to recuperate from this um from this attack. Those scenes are, are very painful. I know that yeah. you mentioned uh, the uh the scene where she sees herself in and her then reflection. yes, once she's done urinating, she gets up to clean herself mm-hmm. off, and she looks in the mirror, and she, her face is battered. Right. Her her scalp is bloody, and she scream like she mm-hmm. screams at the at the image of herself in the mirror before she does right clean herself to the best of her ability. Um. And she goes into the convenience store. And to use their phone, she doesn't have her phone anymore. And we see her leaving a message. And I had thought she was leaving a message for her neighbor friend. But then we find out later that she's leaving a message on her own uh, answering machine so that she remembers what happened. And then we see that she dials 911 but hangs up when they answer. And she starts having a thing that happens basically for the rest of the book, which are these flashes of images of her sort of playing out how the public is going to accept news of her being raped. How did you feel about that? I I thought that they were very realistic to both what she would think would happen and also probably in some corners what would happen. Like, it didn't seem like she was coming up with scenarios that were unlikely. And I, that felt to me like I was a little bit surprised that that came from the mind of three men. Like, that felt a little bit like they had some female input to those scenes. Right. Um hmm. But that I'm aware of, I don't. I, I I don't know that that was the case. And then finally, she calls her limo service, a number she has apparently memorized, and they come and pick her up and take her home. The limo driver sees her, does not 
instigate much, but does say, do you need help? Like, it's clear right. you need help, but, like, it's outside of what I'm allowed to do to actually call for help. But she, he, he sort of makes it clear that he sees her and he sees that she needs help. And um, she declines but asks him to stay outside her house until she gets all the way inside and can set the alarm. So he does do that. And then she, we see a another sort of montage of her cleaning herself up. She's She doesn't think her nose is broken, but she does a little bit of massaging of it. She, like, uses the butterfly bandages to close the cuts that are larger. She takes a bath. Like, she's sort of processing her body. Well, she's, yes. Um, she's also, there's an ongoing dialogue, or yes. monologue, um, where she's considering what public uh, reaction to her attack is going to be. Yes. There's these hallucinations, almost, of her continued to being attacked. Yes. Uh, by uh, her rapist. She's also having a, a moral quandary because there are th at least three bodies in right. that covert and only she knows about them. Well, n only she knows about them as somebody who would do something about it. She's the only survivor. Right. So there are victims there that have dis just disappeared over the course of time. And there's, uh, there's no telling who's looking for them or what their families are thinking. And yeah. that's a consideration for her. Right. But yeah, she is just thinking about like, People just going, well, she was asking for it, or mm -hmm. what do you think that that's what she gets? And it's all that kind of stuff. And she's like, my career will be over. That's all anybody will ever think of me for when they think of, like, yeah. my, that's what will tie to my name forever, and that's going to be a wrap on my career. So she just decides she's not going to tell the police anything. She may, she decides do a an anonymous tip about right. the bodies but she does she's like I don't have to I don't have to do any of that tonight I think is what she basically comes down to those women can't be helped at this point like today if she calls today versus two weeks from now nothing changes for those women really so their families sure but like she needs to take care of herself first and so we see the next morning, um, she, her, her neighbor friend comes over and she tells her that she fell down some stairs. Yeah, because we, we get the tip early in the film that, that she's constantly sort of falling and tripping over things. She's kind of physically clumsy. Yes. And her friend doesn't really believe it, but also is not Gonna pushing it into it. Yes. And while they're speaking, uh, Tess gets a phone call from the Stagger Inn telling her that her car is there and she has until 5 o'clock to pick it up or it gets towed at her expense. Now, here's what I thought was going on. Uh -huh. It seemed like up until this point, this is Tess deciding that she's not going to do anything. Right. And then this is the catalyst for realizing that she's now empowered to take her abilities as a mystery writer 
and start using those skills in the outside world to get her revenge. Once she picks up her car and has right. a conversation, maybe. Because I, before I, it does seem like she's just so willing to. Her I think it's also are. just time. I think right. just also time has she, passed. She says to herself, I'll take the AIDS test. I'll make sure I don't have a disease. Right. And that's it. And then I don't have to think about right. it anymore. And I think that that's possible that she would have stayed, mm-hmm. changed her mind regardless of what happened after that. But I think she needed time to process. I just think that's a big traumatic experience. I still think that the time period in this film is too short. Yes, because the decision is made the next morning. Yes. So she goes to pick up her car, which you paid a limo service to take your ass all the way home. You had... You could have had that towed to your house at your expense. You yeah, didn't need to but it there. also seemed like she was trying to get as few people involved in her story as yes, possible. Yes, that's fair. But still, I yeah, I know that that was a jump by yourself. To, would you, you go, go back, back there? there? Right. Like that seems. I kept thinking she's going to ask her friend. She's going to do something else, but instead, right? She goes no, back but she doesn't. And she goes and own. she picks up. She goes into the bar, and it's Joan Jett. Is Betsy that the manager that gave her that gave her a call, gave her a call. Excuse me. Uh, and her car keys, her purse, and her car with a fresh fucking tire on it mm-hmm. are all there. Uh, which means presumably that her killer or her presumed killer would just presume that it would get towed at five and right. that that would be it. And he changed the tire because he doesn't want anyone to know his MO is leaving stuff around the Right, road. right, right. And we, Joan Jett is in, there's just this one scene. Um, she's very good. Uh, she's She recognizes Tess and actually has her sign an autograph for her aunt. And she's like, you shouldn't be in places like this. My aunt would be very disappointed to find out you that you came to places like this. Also, you know, you should leave the dude that did that to you because she's, right. you know, cut up and, and things. She's And she says, you know, I, I plan to. And also, do you know a big dude that drives this truck? Because he helped me. That is her cover story to see if she can find out anything about this dude. And he says, that's big driver. He's a local. And also, uh, and so Tess says, well, could you let me know if you see him? But don't let him know that I'm asking because I want to surprise him with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Betsy tells, you know, talks to, you know, co- follows Tess out really and says, um, you know, seems like that happens to most women, huh? And then Tess asks her about her history and we find out that Betsy was, attacked by her stepfather when she was 10 and lost her eye over it. Um, so she has a fake mm-hmm. eye that she pops out of her head, which is always disconcerting to me. I have eye issues. It's not... I think what they can do with fake eyes now is pretty remarkable, but it's the... An eye socket freaks me out. <laughs> an empty eye socket? I, I saw April Fool's Day at a at, at a bad time, and uh, oh, this yeah. is the '80s, the original version yes. of that film, because there's been a remake. Yes, yeah, that, there's a boat. Yeah, thing, the boat accident then, in the beginning yeah, of the film. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole situation that I, I don't think I've ever gotten over. Yeah, 
Well, <laughs> I think it, it traumatized me pretty good. I saw um, Carnival of Souls mm. when I was a kid, alone in the house. There was nobody else around. And to this day, a lonely road at night scares the hell out of me. Scares you, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, that scene where she looks in the rearview mirror and there's a person's face as she's driving. And it's like, now, you know, coming back or going out when I go camping or something, I'm constantly looking straight ahead. I don't want to see what's in the side of me. I don't want to see what's in the right. back seat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know how that works. Um, and then we have Tess talking to Tom. Mm-hmm. Sort of working it out. Also, I believe at the same time, Doreen, or Doreen is right, uh, Doreen, Olivia Dukakis is Dukakis. in the backseat. And this is where Tess sort of is piecing together sort of the larger story around what happened to her. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I think I was set up. I think that was a trap that I was pushed into. And I wouldn't have been there except for Ramona. And so she takes to the internet does some research and it turns out Ramona has kids but it's unclear who those kids are they're not they don't have a big in footprint on the internet uh, and that Ramona's husband had killed himself um, over possibly one of the son's behaviors or situations but mm-hmm. it's un- it's a little bit unclear and so she decides what she's gonna do is she's going to... She has a gun, and she is going to exact revenge on anybody who had a hand in it. And what she decides is that she's going to go to Ramona's house, and if when Ramona opens her door and sees her standing there, the look in her eyes will tell her whether whether Ramona expected her to be dead or not. Which actually ties into a short time period for this narrative. Yes. If it had been stretched out longer, Ramona would have heard to hear, heard in the news, or we would have expected her to hear in the news that Tess was dead because she was a, a popular whatever, novelist. Right. 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 And I guess that's right. Um, presumably, the only way that she would know is, you know, that she'd gotten either confirmation from her son or a thank mm-hmm. you text or some that's horrible sick thing. and psychotic. But yes, exactly what you'd yeah. expect of this family. She drives out there. Tom's like, I don't like it. And before she gets out of the car, Tom says something like, be careful, she's not a nice woman, or mm-hmm. something like that. And so we Tess goes up to the front door, and Dowd, Ramona, opens the door. The look on her face is clear. <laughs> that look was, I thought this bitch was dead. <laughs> and at that point, uh, Tess forces herself into the house. Um, and holds Ramona at gunpoint. Then there is a very weird back and forth with them, where Ramona goes from, the last time I saw you, you were, you know, driving away from me, and now you're on my, you're at my house with a gun. You're crazy. This, that, and the other. And uh, and then Tess is like, I know that you sent me towards your sick, fucked up son. Um, have you done it before, this, that, and the other? And that's when she sort of turns on her, like when her chi- when her child is attacked. Yeah. She's like, you're a stuck-up cunt, and I knew he was going to kill again, mm-hmm. and so I sent you his way hoping that he'd get you. And I'm just like, See, that, goddamn. <laughs> that scene gets interesting because it's this confrontation between two women. 
the yes. two very different kinds of women. And the uh, Ramona has a preconceived notion of Tess. Yes. Because Tess is pretty and put together and yes. smart and whatever. You're one of those city people. But she was also a little bit stuck up right. when but she came up. There's, after there's that. a class conflict that we see in a lot of Stephen yes. King. Yes. Correct. You know, we saw it mostly in uh, a great yeah, example. Yeah, you snooty bitch. Is like, the mist, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, you city people telling us, you know, taking your vacations out here with yes. us. And anytime I want a little friend like you, I'll just squat one, you know, and shit one out. Yeah. So there's that kind of conflict that he addresses all the time. But uh, but here, I can understand the critiques of this film that talk about the swinging in tone. Yes. Because it becomes, it goes from... A scene that's sort of a standard action film. You know, you beat up the guy who has the information and then you get him to squeal and then you go to the next guy. Right, it's right. something that happens in every kind of detective crime story. Here it takes this really that personal... Jeremy Sisto version of, of the Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Uh-huh. The Jeremy Sisto yes. story. It's that. Yeah. Yeah. So he confronts, or rather Tess confronts Ramona. Ramona, like you said, the minute that something goes on about her nasty and horrible children then suddenly she becomes a defensive Mama mom yeah. and she criticizes Tess's writing yeah. oh, and yeah. then Tess takes her writing very personal and then yeah. there's a physical confrontation. confrontation they're stabbing and shooting each well, other yeah because Tess of course is not skilled with a gun and uh-huh. Ramona gets the gun away from her pulls the trigger but the number one rule of gun ownership mm-hmm. turns out is don't have a gun in the fucking chamber. You don't have a bullet in the chamber. Don't have a bullet in the chamber. Mm-hmm. I did that exact same thing. Right. Last time we recorded this. Um, and so then Tess grabs, yeah, a knife and stabs. Which is un- there's, it's in the gut. Odd how, yeah, how and then, much more visceral stabbing someone is she, rather than well, shooting yes, them. it is. And then as she's bleeding out, she shoots her in the face. Right. So she definitely kills her. Yeah, she's dead. She definitely kills her. It's like preparing a meal, dead two ways. And then she gets back on the road and she goes and she knows that her son is a truck driver. Mm -hmm. He was driving a pickup, but apparently he also drives a big rig. And so she goes to a truck stop to wait that hopes that he comes by. He has, she has an address for, Mm -hmm. for him and thinks but but would prefer to get him, like, to know that he was going to be there rather than right. just appearing there. And while she's waiting, as she's getting tired and thinks she might give up, he shows up. And she gets out of the car. She's parked across the street from the truck stop. She goes across the street, and I'm not sure why. I don't, she gets up and she, because he goes into the truck stop, and then she, like, crosses the street to, like, Stand next to his truck. It's unclear to me what she's doing. I think she's spying on him to make. Well, it seems like at first she's making sure that he's in the truck stop. Mm. Then, as I mentioned to you before, I think she was actually going to climb into the bed of the truck. Oh, gotcha. And she has oh, a gun on the back on of the thing. Oh, right. right. So okay. she just turns up behind his, right. you know, three hundred pounds. But then pound he's coming out fast or whatever, and so she just doesn't do that. She, she bolts what, back for her car. Whatever she was planning on doing, she doesn't do it. So it looks mm-hmm. like she wasn't going to do anything. It's just right. it's, it's odd. And then as he pulls out, she ducks down, and when she pops back up, there's a cop at her window. There's a lady cop at her window, and I a hundred percent thought this lady cop was gonna 
come back later in the story. But she doesn't. She gets real nosy. She, like, puts her whole upper body inside of the car, which is wild. She's looking around, and she's like, what were you doing? She goes, you know, and and Tess says, you know, I was just trying to get some reception. I pulled over to try and get some reception. She said, well, what were you doing over by the truck? So she'd been Mm -hmm. watching her. She said, well, well, like I said, I'm trying to get better reception. (laughs) Like, I'm going to stick to this story. This is the story that I've told, and I'm just going to stick to it. And the the cop asks her about the Prius and whether it's a good car, and then lets her go. It's very strange. Well, this is one of the cases where I felt that something is left out of the story. Yeah. Because she obviously is given a lot of screen time, a lot of close-ups. You think she's going to be a part of it. Yeah. Maybe they were just throwing you off or something. I don't know. It was just but so she's strange. one of the few people actually credited in um, the wikipedia site for it Mm -hmm. as if she's a major character yeah it's very odd because what Mm -hmm. i presumed then would be that she was either going to offer some backup when tess needed it later on or was going to smudge and hide some tess's involvement in whatever happened when Whatever you know, on the instead, on the back side of it, but instead we never see Parker. or hear from her again. Right, who plays no part in the rest of the it's story. It's very very strange. So then she follows the truck, and she goes into what is like a junkyard or it something. It's it's like, unclear. Yeah. There's a trailer there with some dogs in it. We find out, and but he's not there now. And so she gets out and she's sort of walking around. And then, a, and then the truck that he was in when he attacked her starts pulling up the drive, and she hides right next to the trailer, which is when we find out there's dogs in it because they start barking. And so she's, like, freaking out that that's going to tip him off, and he pulls up, and he opens the door, and he gets out, and she, like, steals herself, although she's still pretty wobbly, and she walks towards him and fires through the glass of the driver's side door that is open Mm -hmm. into his face and neck and when we see who falls to the ground it is not the man that attacked her Uh, it's his brother and um, in the in the book we find out that this is big driver and he's actually six nine he's even bigger than the other one and her attacker wasn't Big Driver, but Little Driver, which was his little brother, but still much larger than her, right? right? So, but that doesn't come up here. Um, the, yeah, in the picture, uh-huh. he's the smaller of the two. So she's killed the smaller of the two. She does recognize him from a photo of the two of them. And um, she's like, oh, fuck, I killed an innocent man. She doesn't feel great about that. Olympia Dukakis is trying to talk her through it. She's like, yep, nope, you're going to hell. <laughs> you're like, you de- you definitely should, shouldn't have done that. And, and she's like, I can't think about it now. I still have to finish this. You still have this. a guy to kill. I have to kill I, a guy by the yes. end of the night. So she gets back in her car and she tells Tom, go to that address I programmed in before we even left home. And he goes the place I wanted to be in the first place, because he was like, why are we here? This isn't the address you told Mm -hmm. me. Like, they're having a whole back and forth. So she goes to the house. She sneaks in, and she 
sees a bunch of photos, including photos coming off of the printer of her being raped by her assailant. And she's looking around and she's looking around and she realizes, oh, the man that she killed, the brother of this, uh, of her assailant, isn't innocent. Mm-hmm. He partook in these activities. In fact, she thinks back in the scene where we had seen her sort of dissociated and out of body looking at her attack. If we, we, we pan back from that image where we, that we saw earlier and we see that the brother is there filming mm. and taking photos of the attack. And the, I think they're staged to look like the Benghazi photographs. It is. They're like, you know, they're they they are very much like yes those um, jubilant hunters over the mm. kill. Only their kill is these battered women in various states of undress or in various uh, states undress of or death or right. yeah, it's unclear. So that lets her sort of breathe a little bit, um, and she we hear the whole time some sort of welding or grinding or something going on in the back so he's working in the uh, outside of the the house and so she goes out there and she points her gun at him and then they have the final confrontation where he still thinks he has the upper hand but she shoots him in the knee which is a good move and then she shoots him into the middle of his body which is also a good move but tough because he's a giant man Mm -hmm. and so he's still lumbering towards her but you can see that his leg can't do what he needs it to do yeah uh like and you can see that he's starting to freak out she ends up i think i don't know if she gets jarred and the gun gets away from her but she picks up one of those planks with the two nails in it and hits him in the head with it very satisfying because i said i was like Mm -hmm. i'm gonna need i'm gonna need that to come back like i'm gonna need that to be chekhov's board and nails and it was in fact chekhov's board and nails and then finally he tries to climb up into his big rig and his leg totally gives out and he like slumps on the ground next to the truck she shoots him one more time in the junk and that's a wrap on big driver and she Gets in our car, fixing to head home, and then we get our last Doreen scene where, well, second to last Doreen scene, where Olympia Dukakis appears in her rearview mirror and is like, um, I don't want to be the one to tell you this, but you need to not get caught. Like, I'm not going to visit you in prison. You're going to be real bummed if you're this smart and you still get caught, so don't get caught. And she's like, what the fuck did I forget? And Dorian's like, you got to fucking figure it out. Don't get caught. And so she sort of backtracks her whole, I guess, day and a half, two days of time. And she ends up going back to the the gas station where her assault occurred and finds her phone, which would have definitely put her at the scene and would have tied her to the murders that she just committed. And uh, and then she drives home. And then we just see this sort of weird montage. It's like some time later. 
and there's a news news coverage and it's like these women were found in a in a culvert and their families are being informed and uh, like we she says that she wrote one of the names on right. one of the photos because she recognized her from the Stagger Inn and had asked about her and Joan Jett had told her her name and said, yeah, she just disappeared one day, picked up and went to L.A. and never looked back. But, of course, right. that's she not what happened. Um, and so, and then the, then there's a call from Betsy just saying, I know what you did. Good job. Like, you go, girl. And then she hangs up and that's it. Uh, the, that cop never comes back. Like, I expected right. her to be given some sort of you know, interview on the TV or something of like, you know, we got these anonymous tips and we don't know who who did this or, or whatever, but uh, we never see her again. Like, she's not a part of the film. And then, you know, there's an, there's over, what's it called? Voiceover. And she's like, you know, if the evidence points back at me, then they'll come and talk to me, but I'm not going to volunteer myself. I did an anonymous tip so that they could find those women. And uh, it is what it is. And then she's working on her book, and it closes with Doreen reading a piece of her new book. So she's back to writing. And um, they're going to switch. Like, the theme of the the books is going to switch from Psycho no from forensics to psychology that is the the new tack that she's going to take she has Olympia Dukakis read some of those books and or some of those lines and it's it's not well written that's like my least favorite part of the the whole movie because I was like it's something oh it's she said in her always perfect syntax or something like that which is not just that part is bad writing and then the line that that is referring to wasn't like didn't even fulfill that like the requirement of having purpose uh, yes it was just like nobody like it just it was it was it was like doubly weird and bad i was like this is not good writing so that was unfortunate don't put like if y'all if you're writing a thing or or making a piece of art with an artist that does a different kind of art than you. Mm. If you're not going to get Maya Angelou to write the poems for your poet, just tell us he's a good poet and let's move on. We don't need to see the poem. Like it's never going to be that good. And if they're supposed to be the top of their game, it's just going to take us out of that piece of writing or, or, or that story. Uh, That's just like, and I understand that's like the hardest thing to be, to make art about an artist and then have to make the art that that artist makes. <laughs> and it's, it's... You know, what comes to mind yeah. is a movie that we saw in a theater, which is probably the only real place to see it, is not a good movie, Sucker Punch. Oh, yeah. And all through the movie, we're constantly told what a fantastic dancer wow. Emily Browning is. I mean, I know it's a metaphor for something yeah. else, yeah. speaking of movies about rape. Yeah. But all throughout the film, you never see her dance. Yeah. 
And but after a while, it just yeah. gets kind of weird going. But like, I prefer right. that, not in this form, that right. format, because also that's not what the fuck they meant. Um, but I mean, like, you don't have like a poet laureate. Mm-hmm. And then when they go to read their poem, it's like garbage. Mary had a little laugh. Yeah, it's just like, now, right? well, or a, a thing about a painter. And then anytime you see their paintings, you're like, I mean, that's paint on canvas. Right. <laughs> they did that. Like, it's it's really hard. It's really hard to do. And you're, you as a creator are probably not, probably not a creator of the of the meta art that now you have to create it's just like it's it's bad so i hated that piece but then the movie ended and that was then <laughs> that was basically it though so how do you um i know that the the film is has like a what do you call it on rotten tomatoes 50 percent of uh, the 10 critics gave the film a positive review so it was split down the middle split down the middle yeah it's most of the it's like a five point eight on right. the out of ten on the IMDb scale. Mm. I think it's I think it's a good adaptation. Uh-huh. I think the casting was an excellent choice because I really think Maria Bello can do just about anything right, she needed she to can. do. Um the the downside to casting and out is you've tipped your hand a little bit. Mm-hmm. There are certain actors that I feel that way too, where I'm like, well, if you wanted a secret bad guy, that's not who you right. hire. Cause that's the bad guy. It's like his whole thing. It's their and job. that's her thing is she is not on your side <laughs> ever. Um, but if I liked, Here's the thing. As a person with a an odd inner life as well, a person who speaks to herself, I don't mm. hear voices, but I definitely talk to myself and things like that. So I like seeing things like that put on screen. It's not off-putting to me, and it's not that weird. I'm like, yeah. some pe-, And especially for a writer who's written 12 or 13 books with this one character, right. I 100% believe that they have conversations with that character. So that's not that strange to me. I, also, I've spent a lot of time in a car in the last, you know, week right. or so. Talking to your GPS doesn't seem that weird to me either. Like that seems fine. There's some criticism for the film, first of all, in that it feels kind of retro, in that there is a genre of rape revenge movies yes. that were really popular in the seventies. Yes. And I was just reminded of that of t- today that it went, the the plot of that movie generally is a woman sexually assaulted. Yep. And then she or her family, uh, for depending instance, on how bad her assault is and whether last she house on the left it. was yeah. a good example. Last house on the left, lipstick. Right. Um, I spit on your grave. Right. Uh, these are all then films things about things like Brave, which mm-hmm. also I think she is raped and her hu- husband is killed. Uh, enough right like this is a it's a trope it certainly is sexual battery and then you come back from it and that what is the negative part about movies like that or that story is that it gives the and it happens here unfortunately in the closing scenes she's learned a new skill and has learned how to become a tougher better person as a result of the experience that she had right like yeah and so it's 
instead of being it's um, rape as a superpower and well, it's like well, well yeah because that's what no. made me uncomfortable in retrospect is looking at the film going all right she's become a better writer she takes her writing very seriously she's now becoming a better writer because she was raped and left for dead and that's not what the Stephen King is saying. That's not what no. they're trying to say. But that's what winds up happening. That's what winds up happening when yeah. you're trying to give like a happy ending to this film. Yeah, is it's that also, she has the experience of becoming better or stronger because of it? Right, which we become better or stronger because of whatever we go through. Right. It just feels like the way that we give women hardship is to rape them. Mm-hmm. Now. Is that inaccurate to our culture? No. Right. But if it, if that's the case, then why does every movie have to do it? Like, it's just... Why like, is there a genre? Why is that, like, um, yeah, a, a trope? And, and people criticizing this film recognize that, critics did, that this is a throwback to a very kind of 70s, 80s way of telling the story about women when there was a backlash a feminist backlash against the way that women have been portrayed and abused in movies. So now we have, because generally, raped meant soiled or tainted in films you're watching during the 60s. During the 70s, I guess, producers were looking at this as a very common experience for women. Right. So we're going to get two things. We're going to get the lead character, for instance, in Miss 45 gets raped twice in the first 15 minutes and then spends the rest of the, the film shooting every man that she meets. Right. Um... To, to get revenge, uh, dressed as a nun at one point, but you're still given this experience of seeing someone brutalized or raped right. or murdered. It, it feels like the only way that a woman can experience conflict and then grow from it is mm-hmm. in a sexual right. arena, which is frustrating for people who have been sexually assaulted and people who haven't, frankly. I think both sets of women but that's still exhausting. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, not just in this film, but I, even thinking of uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm-hmm. Well, you know the name of the Swedish right. name of that, that book, for anyone who doesn't know, is Men Who Hate Women. Yeah. That's the name of that book. And I'm not... It's... Uh, I remember talking to another friend not too long ago, so the two things I don't need to see in movies anymore. I don't need to see black characters in chains. Yeah. I've seen that scene too many times in too many films yep. or being whipped. Yep. And I really don't need to see another rape scene. Yeah. To where now I I'm just... I know many I'm, black yeah. people who are like, I'm not watching any more slave movies. That yeah. Harriet movie might be great. I'm not watching any more slave movies. I, I, I just... And I, right. I can't... I have no argument against that decision. That makes perfect sense. Right. To just see yourself victimized over and over and over. Anytime you're on... And that's kind of... Like, your representation right. is victim. That right. gets, That's what you get to be. And I don't think... I think that certainly Stephen King refers to the 70s a lot, 70s culture in his writing and in uh, his adaptations of things, you know, the, the, the adaptations of his work. You can see a lot of grindhouse cinema. Yeah in what he does. So I'm sure that this harkens back to a more, um, a different time when this was just a kind of story that you wrote. Uh, I really do, though, really love the performances in here. Marie Bello is great in this. And 
and and out. And out is great in this. And, and she's they're, they're, these women she's are both playing a great monster. In. You know who else is great in this? Yeah. Fucking Joan Chad is great in that. Yes, she is. Who's just such an unusual person. I I, I haven't really. Yeah, I, yeah. I kind of like her. I've seen her turn up in the strangest she's things. She's got the coolest growly voice. I'm like, oh, right. uh, do I sound like her when I st- when I'm my throat doesn't work? <laughs> Let's hope. Probably not. Sorry. I'm you will though. What? I'm sure. Yeah, I, in this recording, you're doing the Joan years. Jett thing. Um, but uh, but yeah. So it's. I really like the performances. I really like the fact that it's done very intelligently. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's being adapted by a writer like Richard Christian Matheson. These voices that are speaking to her never tell her something she doesn't know. Yeah, no. Which I think was playing very fair. It's not like they're... Yes, something she doesn't know consciously. Right. Right, which is why Doreen wasn't like, you left her phone at the station. Right, Doreen can't tell her that. Doreen can just tell her there's something you're not remembering. There's something you're overlooking, so just... And her GPS is not telling her specifically what's going to happen to her. I don't like it here. Yeah. It's her Just like, voice. This doesn't feel yeah. right to me. So that was really intelligently done. It wasn't yeah. like we were getting, you know, these phantom voices are And I don't need a all-knowing. single excuse me. I don't need a single tone in my yeah. media. Especially if it's an hour and a half long or whatever. Well, I was uh I was watching, um, Amazon has a really great run of adaptations, Roald Dahl stories that he introduces. And he talks about, in one introduction, genuine nastiness. Like when you have to do something really repellent in a piece of fiction, you have to temper it with humor because if not, it's just repugnant. And, and no one's nobody wants visit. that. Yes. Like right. your readers are, off. anyone mm-hmm. who's not a psychopath is off board. Right. Like just... If I'm not going with you. Midsummer, you might never see it again. But if it wasn't so funny at times, and Midsummer is very funny yes. at times, you wouldn't, you couldn't sit through it the first time. If there wasn't something, because uh, Hereditary, for instance, is just kind of unrelentingly grim. I literally just um, listened to uh, the Reply All guys did a five episode. Horror movie podcast because mm-hmm. PJ wanted to watch Get Out but had never watched a horror movie before and so they were like let's build up to it and they did a two part Hereditary Midsummer episode or a you know, two two for in that episode and uh, just listening to Tori or not Tori what's her name is it Tori Tony Tony Collette screaming after mm-hmm. what happens to her daughter. I was like, oh no, I can't watch that movie ever again. Like, I just right. I can't do it. Um, Midsummer, I think I could revisit, but Hereditary, I can't. Well, Midsummer, I've actually seen both of them again because, you know, this is what I do. Yeah. And I really wanted to go back and see where is it that I got really hooked. And Midsummer, I mean, Hereditary is a little bit lumpier and weirder. A lot of people, uh, and especially after they see Midsummer, they're like, oh, he did what he meant to do in that first one right. so much better in this one. Well, this one also... But it's also his second movie or whatever. His second movie like, or owes a little bit more to the... the, the, the like, didn't, isn't, didn't he do The Witch? Am I wrong about no, that? No, I don't believe so. Oh, okay. But I think that um, with Midsummer, what works is that he, someone had explored this ground before in The Wicker Man. And so they were able. To, he was able to follow a path that's like, oh no, this is the points that you hit in this film. 
Um, and he was able to inject a lot more humor into it to the point where there's just scenes where you're laughing and you, you need to get it out. Uh, the scene where Tess shoots Little Driver, yes. I guess in this case, in the face. Oh, yeah, and then he's his corpse is talking his to her. His corpse is talking to her. Yeah. Um, and again, it was great. Not something that she didn't know. It's not as if the corpse had some sort of information she was sharing from beyond the grave. It's clearly her imagination. And um, and that scene works out to be really funny. Or the scene with Ann Dowd where Tess defends her writing right before she yeah. you know, shoots her in the face. It's yeah. like, no, I'm very serious about this. It was a scene that was I was laughing out yeah. loud when I saw it. So I can understand how in the context of all the horrible things that happened in this movie, it's hard for some people to take the pendulum swing that goes back and forth. Right. But on the other hand, if it was just one note... It's relentless and it's not enjoyable right, as, uh, as anything. A good example I can think of is... I can't recommend Witchfinder General to people. Okay. Uh, the, the, the 60s horror... Which is one of the best horror films ever made. But it is so unrelentingly grim. There is not a single funny note in this movie that I know a handful of people who watch it a second time. It's like reading The Road. Yeah. That's <laughs> a book I like... never need. And I, you've seen me. I have a shelf full of books uh -huh. I will come back to all the time. That's a book I never need to read again. It yeah. just, it, there is nothing to save you from this unrelenting pace of brutality in that film. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so this one I, I appreciate, but it has its problems. It's problematic just because of its theme, I think. There's no way yeah. of improving that because being the sort of story it is, this is the best way to tell that story, but at the same time, it's going to have all the problems mm -hmm. with this kind of with this kind of subject matter. Yes, correct. All right, that's the end of our big driver discussion, I think. Mm -hmm. Next week, we're going to watch Cell. Cell. With the reuniting of John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson. Mm -hmm. And that'll be the best part of it. That's my understanding. I don't know. I'm, yes. I'm not speaking of anything I know. I've actually not seen this mm. film. So we'll see. You have, and you are unexcited about um, seeing it again. It just, if it was uh, um, the definition of a B-movie uh, from one producer was, if it's an A film that stars Humphrey Bogart, if it's a B film that stars Forrest Tucker. You know, the only difference is the cast. And to have an A-list cast in a B-movie where you can see them constantly, the director is trying to stage things and constantly falling short of his aspirations, but he has this magnificent cast who are all first-rate, and you're going, I wish they had more stuff to do. Yeah. I really do. It's it's hard to watch, so I, I'm kind of gritting my teeth and going, yeah, I can, I can get through that one. Yeah. Yeah, we will. It has good moments and everything, but yeah, that was uh, watching that. I think I had higher expectations. Maybe it'll be better this time because I won't be Since going into it. Since you don't have high expectations. Right. So in the meantime, do you have anything you would like to recommend that's not Witchfinder General? Oh, yes. I, I can't recommend that one. Um, to Alienist? To... Yes. Now, I am appreciating, and this is, I came late to this too because we had the entire second season of The Alienist. Um, Still have on our And EBR. we have not finished it. Nope. And I'm really We're halfway through <laughs> that season. It has some really great performances. The Alienist on TNT season yes. two is called Angel of Darkness. It's an eight-episode series. We've watched 
four episodes. Right, we were halfway through. And just the performances from the regular cast and the guest cast, particularly the villain so far in this, is amazing. Yeah. And, oh, I should look up her name. Oh, oh don't give away who the bad person is, actually. Oh, that's right. That's a good We're idea. not going to tell you who it is. All right, so we the won't tell you. The performances are great. The performances <laughs> are great. Because we mm. just learned um, a... Right. Possible, a suspect. We a learned sus- a suspect, right. and that actresses actresses. Okay, is that giving too much away? It's it's y'all. It's a woman this time, right? But <laughs> her performance is amazing. Yeah. It's physical. It's fidgety. It's it's just it's spellbinding. I'm looking yeah, at her going. But she's let's amazing. not spoil like we said. But, um, but there are times, you know, when you actually see a performer where you're going, oh, that person. I remember watching, and it's a pity because I I. Didn't get to watch her turn into something that natural again. Reese Witherspoon, when she was like 12 or 13 years old in Man in the Moon. Man in the Moon, yeah. And you're watching, you're going, God damn, where is that coming from? That's amazing. That's legitimately how I feel about Jay Law and um, Winter's Bone as well. Yes. You're watching a star. You're looking at it. It's like, no, this person just eats up the screen. Yeah. Um, And every once in a while you get that and you're watching a movie. The movie might not even be much. In this case, it's a really beautiful production, but... Yeah. In some cases, even the movie's not very much, but you're just watching this person and you can't take your eyes off of them. And I'm and, hoping they yeah. do with the third. The Alienist is a trilogy, a Kale mm-hmm. Car trilogy, so I'm hoping that they do the third season. They've they've already invested so much in the sets and costumes. Right. I feel like they could just finish this it This is, out. as a person who loves period pieces, um... This is a beautiful production design. Uh, and the villains in this film, some of them are actual historical people, historical villains. It's not a film, it's a TV uh, well, series. It feels like a very lavish film. It does. Yeah, there's so much production design and production value in here, down to little things like the details on the wallpaper. It's amazing, the, the depth of the, of the art direction. But yes, highly recommend it. Uh, do you have anything to recommend? I don't think I do right now. Just maybe I will recommend the Scaredy Cats Horror Show. The mm. five-episode run from the guys that do Reply All. If you don't know the podcast Reply All, that's my recommendation because it's one of the best podcasts ever. It's my favorite podcast. Uh, and then this has been a fun little jaunt, and they got really cool guests to come on. Mm-hmm. Um, and their conversations are really interesting. And it's an interesting point of view from somebody who loves horror movies and somebody who's literally never seen any horror movies, uh, uh, which so is funny. a different perspective than most of the people that I know. So uh, it's <laughs> really... Sorry. We're all rather gruesome. <laughs> it's fine. Yes. But it's, I mean, yeah. And I do know one or two people who I'm close with who right. are like, no thank you, no thank you. Uh, but it, that's rarer than mm-hmm. the opposite for me. So I would recommend listening to those. And it's a quick listen. Like I said, it's only five episodes. So yeah, that's good. I might actually do it. I saw that today come up in um, suggestions for me, and I yeah. thought, oh, that might be fun. Just because I I get so entrenched with stuff. Yeah. Like, and it's interesting yeah. to hear someone. First of all, there's a lot more to get out than I think even I realize and I need to rewatch mm-hmm. it 
but almost everything in that movie is an homage or a nod to something. Like oh yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot which, going on. A lot movie. of which I picked up, and mm-hmm. a lot of which I didn't. Um, and they talk about it in the Get Out episode in a right. way that's really interesting. They also, I mean, I will say, if you haven't seen the movies that they're talking about, and the movies that they talk about are The Exorcist, Alien, Nightmare Before, not Nightmare Before Christmas, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, mm-hmm. uh, Hereditary and Midsummer, or Midsommar, depending on who you are worried about mm. thinking that you're dumb <laughs> uh, and get out. Right. So if you haven't seen those, you should watch them before. You should watch them anyhow. Well, you should, wa- yes, mm. you should watch all of them. If you're not a horror movie person and you won't watch them anyways, right. then don't worry about it. Just go ahead and listen to What's the What's interesting is they're all very different kinds of horror. They are. And so, yeah, I know that, because there are some things I won't watch where I'm like, no, I don't need to see Last House on the Left. Yeah, and I don't, I don't need to see watch right. uh, anything that could be considered torture porn. Right? No, no, I don't do that. Um, I saw the first saw and the second saw, and then I was like, "Got it." Yeah. Um, and then uh, I like hostile. I know that you guys say that it's better than I think it's going to be, but right. I don't. I I think that I got talked into it by our other roommate, and I have to admit that. Halfway through the movie, there's an actual really interesting stab uh, at social commentary, and it makes a point, but I don't ever need to see that happening over and over and over again. It's like, okay, did did that. When when what I'm watching is just people being cruel to people Mm -hmm. for the hell of it, that's... I never need to see funny games. Yeah. I never... Yeah, there's just... There's, it's not my jam. Right. It's. I'm not saying don't make it, don't watch mm-hmm. it. If that's what you want to watch, that's not for me. And there's right. enough media to consume that I don't need to consume the stuff that's not yeah. for me. There's a lot don't. out there. And yeah. don't. But yeah, it's interesting that you would put The Exorcist and Alien. They're both very... How can I put it? The first Alien. They're very gooey. So there's a lot of physical horror in those two movies. And so, as opposed to like something... PJ didn't understand uh-huh. the term body horror. Oh, yeah. So there's a definition and information about that in the alien. Yeah. Like, it's... And that's really interesting, because these are things where I'm like, how do you not know what that is? Because mm-hmm. I have this experience. Right. And it's interesting to hear a full-grown human... Who's never seen David Cronenberg, which right. is like, that's the right. definition of body horror, or most of... Uh, like 70s Japanese horror, a lot of it is this fear of your body revolting against you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the thing. And also, it's something I can't do anymore. I think after dealing with a loved one who's been in and out of the hospital for such a long time, yeah. you develop an issue with it. Because even um, Dreamcatcher was well, so you much... you also don't love anything having to do with Digestion and excretion. Right? That's it's, not... That's for you. No. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Yeah. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> right. That's fine. Um, and, you know, they put that shit in horror movies for a reason. Right. Because it is horrific. It's just more horrific right. for you. Drag me to hell was like the limit of what I can do with effluvia. Thinking about drag me to hell as a eating disorder allegory. Is perfect. Is... That's mind-blowing. That's like one of those alternate readings like um, watch Ferris Bueller 
if Ferris Bueller didn't exist, if it, yeah. in a fight club situation, right. where Alan Ruck is your character and Ferris Bueller, or Alan Ruck is your Ed Norton mm-hmm. and Ferris Bueller is your Brad Pitt. He's not really there. The unleashed Id, yeah. and he's not really an actual separate entity into yeah. itself. Um, it doesn't fully work because it's not that, mm-hmm. but it is a reading that works in the scenes where they're both there. Right. I'll well, say that. It, uh, when you have whole scenes of Ferris Bueller and the shower, right? It kind of or relating to that don't have Alan Ruck in them, right? Yes. You have scenes where yeah. there's a if you ever seen the Mighty Quinn, which is a good movie. There's an alternate reading where uh, Robert Townsend's character Mauby, who is just again the unleashed Ed, the sexually active ghost. See, not a ghost. Well, he doesn't seem to die at any point in the movie, and at one point. Robert Townsend turns, and this is a very serious well, action movie, turns and looks directly into the camera, smiles at you, and then goes back to what he's doing. And the impression okay. that you get is that Denzel Washington, who's really uptight, that this is this is him. Right. That he's actually both of these characters. Right. And that's why you can never get rid of Mal because either he's a ghost or he's just the alter the ego. Rest of, right. The rest of Denzel's character. Right? And it's a very funny, because when I was watching the movie, I got that feeling like, well, he just looked at me, you know? Right. And then watching it again with the understanding that a lot of people interpret it that way. It's quite, right. Yeah, I kind of felt that too, you like there's something more going on there. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's going to that's gonna do it for us. Um, sorry about the lateness of this episode. I'm going to mm-hmm. try and edit it and put it up tonight, but uh, I'm exhausted, so we'll right. see what happens. Um, and we're going to try and do better next week. We're recovering. We're recovering from moving. We're recovering from losing an episode, technical reco- difficulties. Yes, we recorded this a week right. ago, and it is gone. It never made it to my computer. So, so hopefully yeah. we won't have the same thing happen again, because I don't think I can record this a third time. I think if we do, I'm just like, get this movie. it's not meant to be. Right. Um, next week, we're going to talk about Cell. And in the meantime, if you have questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at latecomerspod or you can find us on Facebook by typing in latecomerspodcast, latecomerspodcast into the search bar. I remind you, take your medicine. We remind you. At any rate, never. never.